one strike from victory. Two outs. And here's what you pay to see the best ever. Baronta jumps on this pitch deep left field. What's going on, Birdland? Steven here for the final strike brought to you by the Baltimore Battery. And we are underway with episode number seven. And what a busy day it's been for the Orioles. Um, Orioles had a couple moves they made today. Um, One of them was to acquire another catcher. Interesting aspect there uh, from the Chicago Cubs for cash considerations. Uh, 26-year-old Louis Torrens. Um, we got him from the Cubs. Um, not sure what the concept or thought process is here because he's on the 26 or he's out of options. So he's got to be on the 26 man roster. Um, catcher is Adley Rushman and James McCann, unless there's something going on that we're unaware of right now. Um, trying to figure out what the move is here. Torrance has also played some first base, second base, third base and left field. Um, currently, he is slashing 250, 318, and 313 games this season. Um, he's collected five hits, scored one run, and has driven in three. He's a career, excuse me, he's a career 227 hitter um, across 799 plate appearances uh, um, with between the Padres, the Mariners, and the Cubs um, is where he's received his playing time. He was originally signed by the New York Yankees out of Venezuela, um, which then the Cincinnati Reds took him in the Rule 5 draft before trading him to San Diego. So uh, he's been around. Um, he's 26 years old, so he's still relatively young. Um, we're going to have to see what happens going forward because, like I said, out of options, he does have to be on the 26-man roster. So I don't know what the corresponding move is with that. My thought process is somebody's going back down to AAA. Um Unless it's in the process of trading somebody else, maybe James McCann's hurt. We don't know. Uh, We'll have to look forward and pay attention to that. Um, In a corresponding move, the Orioles also uh, designated for assignment Joey Crable. Um, As we all know, Crable was a big contributor to the bullpen last year. Um, He went 5-5 with a 390 ERA across 56 games. He had one save, 10 holds. And he held opponents to a 242 batting average. So it was a crucial part to our bullpen last year. Um, so uh, he either has to be traded, um, released, or does he uh, send a sit down to the minors if he clears waiver? So pay attention to that. Uh, I was I kind of liked Crable. I kind of hoped he'd be brought up and you know either both uh, earlier in the season Brian Baker <laughs> be sent down, but Brian Baker's turned things around. So. Um, there, there's an option there. So we'll see what happens with those two moves going forward. You know, does Crable make it through waivers and stay with the team? Um, he's currently down with the Norfolk Tides anyway. He's just on the 40-man roster. So that's where the DFA comes in. And just that's those are the moves there. Um, on top of that, uh, Felix Bautista was named AL Pitcher of the Month. Um, so congratulations to Felix. Uh, the Mountain struck out 25 of 58 batters he faced. Um, he had seven saves and nine appearances. Uh, he's two on record with the 132 ERA. And he is the first Oriole reliever to win the award since Jimmy Johnson won it back in 2012. I'm sure a lot of people remember Jim Johnson. He had back-to-back years of 50 saves 
uh, for the Orioles and definitely made every single save a nail biter as he would get one to two batters on base almost every single time. Uh, uh, in the words of Earl Weaver, he would have smoked two to three packs at, uh, uh, when Jimmy Johnson pitched. So, <laughs> um, with Bautista, um, he's appeared in 14 games, and the Orioles are 13 and one across those 14 games. So, he definitely brings a winning mentality out to the mound. The one loss was unfortunately a drop fly ball in Boston that would have ended the game um, shortly after a two run home run was hit to win the game. So. That's that's what happened there. Felix Bautista, the mountain, proving his worth and showing that he is every bit worthy of that closer role that the Orioles put him in last season after they traded away all-star Jorge Lopez. Um, interesting enough, we have uh, Yenier Cano, who, in my opinion, should have been considered for this. I don't know if he was. Uh, he appears in 10 games, and batters are one for 34 against the guy. He's given up one hit. Um, no walks. He's hit one batter. Um, they have a .28 average against him. Uh, he has a whip of 0. 0.08. <laughs> so the guy is coming in and locking things down. Um, he's pitched 12 innings across 10 games with 13 Ks. He's definitely creating a wonderful back-end duo. And as I said previously in... Uh, one of the two previous episodes with Dylan Tate working his way back up. You put Yenier Cano, Dylan Tate, and Felix Bautista in the back end. Your seventh, eighth, and ninth is going to be locked down. That will be a dominating bullpen. Um, so I'm kind of anxious to see what happens there. Uh, Orioles had 18 wins in the month of April. Uh, they were 19 and 9 across the first month of the season, which is their best month since June of 2016. Um, give you perspective of this, since Brandon Hyde has been manager, the Orioles have gone 10 and 20 in 2019, 12 and 14 in 2021, 7 and 14 in 2022. So just to show you where the improvement is compared to last season um, is, is a giant step, but full seasons, that's what we've got going on. Um, one of the key contributors to this turnaround is Jorge Mateo. And I want to talk about Jorge Mateo for the simple fact that he is a night and day player from last season. One of the things that has definitely changed with him is his offensive uh, approach. He, the defensive approach is there. We, we have no concerns there. We have no concerns about his ability to steal bases on the base path. Uh, he did get thrown out the other day, but it was only the second time. He still does have 10 stolen bases. So the guy can flat out change a game. The fact that he's actually learning to take his talent on the offensive side to a new height is even better. Put this in perspective. He's leading the league with a 9-12 slugging percentage on non-fastballs. That's actually tied with Will Myers or Will Smith for the Dodgers. But Behind them, the next closest people are in the 700s. That is a tremendous difference. Um, one of the biggest things when you look at the videos of Jorge Mateo from last season to this season, he's not shifting his weight through too quickly, and he's putting all his power into his swing now. One of the biggest differences is he would step and stride last season. He now does a little slide tip. And then 
swings. Um, so he's not out in front of the ball anymore. He's actually keeping his power back and exploding through the ball. One of the biggest differences is it's changed his average right now. Currently going into today, he's slashing 338 with a 384 on base percentage and a 636 slugging percentage. Very strong numbers from a talented player who is either going to remain with the team, probably in a different position, or be a trade chip for us to gain talent, especially in the starting pitching. Um, but right now, he's locking down that shortstop position. He is actually third in Major League Baseball with a 1.7 B war, and that's behind uh, Matt Chapman and Ronald Acuna who for the Braves, who was leading uh, the league. So another big difference is last season, Jorge Mateo had a 27% strikeout rate and less than 5% walk rate. It was actually four point something. Uh, don't remember the exact decimal point, but just to change that perspective around, he's got a 6.3% strikeout rate this year. So you're talking about a 20 point difference <laughs> from last season in strikeouts. Um, I know that's only 388 plate appearances, but that's still, that's definitely a big step in the right direction. His walk rate currently is up from 4% to 14.6%. So those factors come into play. He's hitting 263 uh, on fastballs and he's hitting 441 on off-speed pitches. So you're seeing the development of a talented player who last season technically had his first real chance of starting full-time. You're seeing what he's taken from last season Brought it over to this season. You're seeing the work he put in on the offensive side that's helped him take the next step forward and become a crucial piece to our offense. And that was one of the biggest things a lot of us have talked about in the offseason. If Jorge Mateo was just able to bring his own base percentage up, it would drastically change our offense. He has done that and gone beyond. I mean, he was at, uh, in the 270s last year for on-base percentage. He's in the 380s this year. So once again, I know that's in a limited sample size through the first month. He's not going to bat 441 all season on off-speed pitches. He's not going to continue the 338 batting average all season. Great if he does. But any improvement from the 230 average or the 212 average he had last season is definitely going to benefit this team and put things in the step forward in the right direction and help the Orioles. And that's what we want to see, especially with young guys like Gunnar Henderson, who's still learning, you know, Gunnar Henderson, he's batting 192, but he has an on-base percentage in the 360s. The guy's walked 20 times, you know, so far. He's got a high, high on-base percentage, which is definitely improving his, his WRC+. plus. So these are the things that are going to help benefit our team while the younger guys are still learning on the fly. Players like Jorge Mateo improving. Uh, Austin Hayes being consistent like he has been, you know, those are the things that we need to see. So these younger players can learn, flourish and move forward and help our team. Um, of course, one of the big things with the Orioles right now, as we won our 20th game last night, another come from behind victory. That's your 10th of the season, which if I'm correct, I might be off by one or two, but it should be right tied with Boston. Boston might have 11, um, but the Orioles have 10 come from behind victories this season. Um, of course, you know, a lot of people are scratching their heads because they don't want to have to always have come from behind. But we're getting decent starting pitching. I'm um, not sure what's going on with Kramer. Uh, 
he might need to go back down to the minors, um, sort things out. Bradish, I think, is going to be all right. Bradish looked very good for four innings the other day and then just fell apart in the fifth inning. Don't know if he just relaxed and let up or if he was tired. Either way, I still think we're going to be fine with Bradish going forward. We see the talents there. We know what he's capable of. We just got to get him to stretch out and stop getting so long in these counts. And what I mean by that, we can't keep having the 2-2, the 3-2 counts. You know, uh, you take um, Anthony Santander's at bat last night, fouled off 13 pitches. The pitcher ended up throwing 16 pitches to one batter. Usually starting pitching is excited if they get out of an inning throwing 16 pitches. But if you get into those longer at-bats with these batters, you're going to wear your pitcher down. You're going to get the effectiveness of them to wear down. Bradish is still young. Remember, this is only his second season. I think he's all right. The talent's there. You know, in the four starts he's had, one only was one and two-third innings, but he gave up one hit, you know, was looking really strong. Then he came back. He had the really bad shaky start where he lasted two and two-third innings. Then he had the phenomenal start against the Nationals. And then last week, like I said, he started off very strong, got into the fifth inning and kind of kind of wore out, never got out of the fifth inning, didn't even collect it out. So those are the things we got to watch. Those are the things that i got to work on. But I think Bradish is going to be fine. Kramer's my question mark right now. And what happens going forward, it currently is a to-be-determined pitcher. Uh, for tomorrow's game. So we'll see if it's going to be Kramer. Do we bring Cole Irvin up? Do we possibly throw D.L. Hall in there? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's yet to be found. But going back into the pitching aspect of things, our bullpen is currently sixth in the AL and eighth in the majors with a 3.03 ERA. So that is definitely the supporting cast of our team and the benefactor of our 20-9 and nine run right now. Yes, I know a lot of people are saying these these are subpar teams, but remember, these are major league players. You know, there is a select few amount of players who actually get to play in the major leagues. One of the biggest things is bringing the talent all together, and you're seeing that with, like, the Kansas City Royals. They're slowly meshing as a team, a young team. Um, the athletics, they're giving people a fight. They're just not completing it. They almost no-hit the, the Mariners last night who have a superior team. So – this, this gaffe of, you know, you're playing mediocre teams, no. It's a Major League Baseball team that can win at any given time. We You know, last time we played Detroit at home, when going into that series, Detroit had won five of six. So they weren't a pushover. And those are the things that people have to remember. These are Major League professional players. They might not have all the pieces to be a consistent competitive team, but they're competitive teams that are playing at a Major League level. And any game one is a game that's a benefit to every team. And that's one of the things that we have to pay attention to and watch. Um, the Orioles bullpen currently has four relievers with an ERA below two. Uh, you have Yanier Cano has a zero ERA. Kid has come out of nowhere. Um, one of the interesting aspects of uh, Cano this year is he came into the season with a career 11.50 ERA. <laughs> With what he has accomplished so far this season, Yenier Cano's career ERA is still 6.90. So that's just to tell you the difference between last year and this year, but how it's affected his career. And it's only been two years. So um, on top of that, you have Danny Coulomb, 
who has a 0.84 ERA, Brian Baker, who has a 1.76 ERA, and Felix Bautista, who, like I said earlier, has a 132 ERA. Um, just to bring up Yenier Cano and Danny Coulomb, we have raped, and I hate to use that word, but it's the only word that works here, the Minnesota Twins of superior pitching. And what I mean by that, you take Tyler Wells, who we got from the Minnesota Twins. When we got over, he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. Um, we utilized him as a reliever his first year. You know, we're cautious with the amount of innings he did. Following year, we decided we want to try him out as a starter. We stretched him out. He was actually one of our best pitchers from May until July. Unfortunately, he had the lat strain um, or the oblique strain that was, that prevented him from continuing further in the season. When he came back, he was he was rusty, but he was still okay. We're seeing what type of pitcher this kid is, um, and with with what he's accomplishing, he's in the lead tops in the league leaders in whip. He has an ERA just around three. I mean, this is a guy who the Minnesota Twins gave up on. Then you take it a step further. And you take Yenier Cano, who came over in the Jorge Lopez trade, along with Kate Popovich, who <laughs> Popovich, I'm sorry, who's having a phenomenal season down in the Myers. Yenier Cano has turned into one of the best relievers in baseball. And then not only that, what do we do? We trade for cash to get Danny Colombe, who currently has a 0.84 ERA and is one of the best relievers out of our bullpen. So I don't know what the Twins did not see that Michael Elias saw. Um, of course, Tyler Wells came over before Michael Elias, but still the Twins have just, we have rated them of some superior, strong pitching. Um, not sure what their thought process is there, but want to thank the Minnesota Twins for that. Uh, so fun times right now you know uh orioles wrap up their season uh their series against the kansas city tonight and tomorrow um we have gibson going on the mound tonight um we'll see former uh oriole jordan lyles um then we head home to face the tampa bay rays and what a series that is going to be um tampa bay is clicking on all cylinders they have the pitching they have the defense they have the offense which is one thing you normally have not seen from Tampa Bay over the last few years. They've always had strong offense and or strong defense, strong pitching, and their offense was, you know, more of the small ball type, not the blowout. They were leading the league in home runs at one point. So this is a different Tampa Bay team than what we're used to seeing. This team has one of the top teams, if not the top team in baseball currently, um, which going into that, the Orioles actually broke into the top five in power rankings. Um, that's the first time I can remember in a long time I've seen the Orioles rank that high. Once again, I know it's the first month of the season, but we got to take what we got. I mean, we're 20 and nine. We're 11 games over 500 after the first month of the season. When's the last time you could actually say that? It's It's been some time. We've had some struggles. You know, even during the Buck Showalter years, I don't remember us ever being 11 games over 500 to start a season. Um, so, you know, there's chirping out there, starting pitching, you know, corner outfield, you know, when you work on our infield. Yeah, but every team has the same problems. First month of the season, you're going to see a lot of things differently than what you're going to see down in the August, September part of the season. So, like I brought up earlier, Gunnar Henderson, the kid is walking a 
ton getting on base in different ways. He's second on the Orioles and walks. It's just not hitting yet. The thing is, if you look at him when he's batting, he is putting hard contact on the ball. He's just having Ryan Mountcastle bad luck from last year where, you know, everything Ryan Mountcastle hit seemed to end up in somebody's glove. Um, Ryan Mountcastle, same thing. He's hitting the ball like crazy. I mean, he just broke uh, the other day. He broke out of an 0 for 66 slump um, with extra base hits and RBIs. So, you know, and then what do we get? Last night, two home runs and a double, five RBIs. The guy is a flat-out hitting machine when he hits. He's going to strike out. 130, 140 times a year. Get over it, people. That's what power hitters do. He's going to hit you 260, uh, 250, 260, maybe 270, but he's still going to drive you in 80, 80, 90 runs. You know, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, that was considered a good hitter. I mean, Reggie Jackson was a 260 career hitter, you know, and he's considered one of the best home run hitters of all time. Ryan Mountcastle, and I'm not saying Ryan Mountcastle is the next Reggie Jackson. Please don't get me wrong there. What I'm saying is if a guy's hitting 260 and hitting me 20-plus home runs and driving me in 80-plus runs, that's production that I'm willing to take. We're going to have players around him like the Adley Rushmans who are going to hit closer to 290, 300. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, who I expect the same thing from once he gets the hang of all this major league hitting or pitching, and you know he figures them out because they're starting to figure him out. He's just got a better play of the strike zone, so he's not swinging at bad pitches. He's going to be up to that 290 hitter. You know, it's Anthony Santander. He had 230 last year, but he also hit 30 home runs. So I'm, I'm, I, I don't see the fire alarms that a lot of people are seeing. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I'm following this, this team so deep into their farm system, you know, so deep into the stats, seeing, you know, how far things play out, you know, the defensive run save the metrics and all that. So, you know, the eye test is always the first thing that people go by. But then you've got to look a little bit deeper. Gunnar Henderson, I see people sitting there complaining that he can't make the throw from third base. So, you know, we got to be careful with how we do things and how we approach things. And I think in the process, you know, people are waiting for the other shoe to fall. There might not be one. And... We have good young talent, you know, Felix Batista, Jorge Mateo, Yanir Cano, Danny Coulomb. These are young, talented players that are being significant contributors to the team. I haven't even talked about Adley Rushman as much as I should. You know, through through these seven episodes, I don't think I've touched on the effect that Adley Rushman has had on this team since he came up last May, you know, and changed the whole tune of last season. I haven't even talked about what he's accomplished this year. And that's something that I'll probably have to delve into next episode because even though he's being recognized by some players and writers in, in baseball for what he's doing, he's not getting the amount of recognition I feel he deserves. And I apologize in that aspect that I haven't brought that up. So I probably will focus a lot of my next episode on Adley Rushman. So be prepared to get Adley'd out. <laughs> But I just wanted to touch base on a few things. Like I said, the transactions that happened today, Felix Bautista, you know, AL reliever of the month. Uh, I want to talk about Jorge Mateo and the difference he's making on the team, our bullpen. Yenier Cano, who's come out of complete left field and has done a 180 versus the pitcher he was last season. So, you know, these are the things that I'm talking about are slowly being put together to build this team into a consistent contender that Michael Elias knows what he is doing 
and that people should not be panicking over what's going on. You know, you know, I see people complaining about Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier's already hit three home runs, which is his season total of last season. And that's only with one month in Baltimore. He's going to get sneaky hits. He doesn't strike out a lot, you know, which is a good thing. You know, he'll make contact with the ball. He'll walk. He'll get on base. He's a 270 career hitter. He's strong defensively. So I don't see where any issue is with him, except he's not producing at a 300 clip and hitting home runs on the left and right like people want. And I think that's the problem with Gunnar Henderson. He's not hitting the 290 and hitting home runs left and right, so they're going to nitpick everything they can. You don't hear people talking about him getting on base. They're nitpicking about he can make the throw from third base. He's a better shortstop, you know, moving to second base. No, that's that's not the answer. The kid, The kid is good. You know, it's not his throws that are the problem. You know, sometimes he's rushed the process, but he's made plays that a lot of third basemen can't. So those are the things that people need to pay attention to. Those are the little things that people aren't paying attention to. They're looking at a blanket eye instead of focusing on the things that these people are doing and accomplishing that are making the Orioles a better team than they have been. You know, the small ball, the sacrifice flies, the sacrifice punch, the timing of stealing bases. You know, pitchers that are coming in and completing the process of what they're supposed to do. Starting pitchers going five innings, giving up three runs. That's what we want. That's why you have a strong bullpen. So it's okay. Orioles are 20 and nine. Not really much to gripe about. We're getting ready to come into a brutal part of our schedule. We'll see what happens. You know, there's no reason we can't win 12 to 14 games this month against the competition. And think about that. If we win 12 games, that puts us at 32 wins. 14 games puts us at 34 wins going into the month of June. I'll gladly take that. And I hope you will too. Till next time, Birdland. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Baltimore Battery for giving me the platform to speak on. And I want to thank our sponsor, Scooters for Rent. If you're ever on the Eastern Shore and you need any mobility products, they rent beach wheelchairs, handicapped scooters, manual wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs, and, of course, lift chairs. So don't forget to give them a call when you're down here at 302-280-6203. And next time, Birdland, we'll see you. Peace out. One strike from victory. Wow. And here's what you pay to see the best ever. Baron Simmons jumps on this pitch. Deep left field.